Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. UK's very own Newcastle United podcast, Time Warp. Today I'm joined by Harry Roy and Josh Barron. We'll be discussing the fallout from the defeat on Saturday, how it was a horrendous display from start to finish, what went wrong, can they stay up, and also talking about the takeover, which has resurfaced over the last few days with a couple of of key things happening uh, and getting fans whipped up into a frenzy. So, to start off by, what did you think of the performance on Saturday? Well, it was what we all expected, I, I think. No one expected Newcastle to go out there and win, I, I'm sure of that. I'm sure the pundits will, will tell us otherwise, that we all expect Champions League football. But it's the manner in which we lose these games, which is so soul-destroying. 29% possession at home, one shot on target. Uh, and once again, it didn't seem there was any plan to go out there and, and get a result. I think people are forgetting this is a Chelsea side without their best defender in Thiago Silva, a team that isn't you know, defensively amazing. They, they, people do score goals against them. This was a side that conceded three goals against West Bromwich Albion. I'm sure Newcastle could have put a bit more of a fight up in the final third, but back to that original point is it's just, it's, it's just miserable supporting this football club at the minute. And, you know, it's so frustrating because it was almost a carbon copy of the performance against Southampton, the way we played. You know, in the first couple of minutes, Javier Manquillo was dispossessed inside inside his own half and Timo Werner almost scored and that was inside two or three minutes and that just set up the rest of the game what it was going to be like. I mean, Kurt Zuma in the first half passed the ball 70 times and Newcastle passed it 65 times. You know, it was so limited going forward 
that we just invite so much pressure and it was clear that against a Chelsea team with that attack and prowess that we were set up to lose from the first minute. Yeah, it was it was awful. It was just from the from kickoff, we had no pressure on them. And like you said, that Werner effort probably should have scored inside two minutes. And that just that was the warning sign that we just didn't take any notice of. We were just terrified to put any pressure on them. We just wanted to sit off and let them pass it in front of us. But with the players they got, they're not just going to pass it in front. They're going to always look for that ball in behind, which happens so many times. Because I, I think it was it was there's just no energy about the team. They just didn't seem to really care. And I don't know. It doesn't come from Bruce that because you see how animated he gets on the touchline. So he's he's clearly cares and he's bothered. He hasn't lost it. It's, it was very strange for me. Well, it seems as if. They're, they've conceded a defeat before they've already started. As soon as it kicks off, we're already five flat. There's no, It's not wing-backs, we're five flat at the back, inviting the pressure. Like We already don't have the confidence going forward. And especially when Callum Wilson's not in the team, it we it felt as though we knew they knew they were going to lose sort of thing. You could tell they were deflated. Nobody really wanted the ball. Uh, and mm-hmm. that went on throughout the game. I mean, in the 85th minute, we had a, we had a throw-in near the, the Chelsea corner. Chelsea uh, goal and Within two passes, it was back to Cardalo. Mm-hmm. And it just showed there's absolutely no drive to go forward and nobody wants the ball, nobody wants to attack and there's absolutely no confidence in the minute and it's really worrying going forward. I think most of the game, it was Isaac Hayden who was wanting the ball the most and he's a great player for all he does but he's not someone you want to see in the final third very often because that chance he had would have been disallowed but he skied it well over the bar. Yeah, I think it was just a case uh, of, of far too much respect I thought we paid Southampton too much respect and it was it was obvious we were going to do the same here against the Chelsea side who you must say were, were very, very good on the day. But to me, it, it begs the question of what would an attacking-minded manager do with those players? Mm-hmm. We're excellent going forward. We've got plenty of, of good players in that in that final third, but it, it's just the constant five at the back. Like Josh said, it, it's a, a flat-back five, a, a midfield that gets overran very easily. And it's going back to that route one, long ball over the top, heading it down, touching it back to the midfielder and kicking it back to the goalkeeper. It is just not good enough at the minute. Why do you think we're so terrified to attack games now? Because during Project Restart, when there was no fans, we were attacking teams for fun. Playing four at the back, which Bruce has wanted to play ever since he's got the job. And now he's gone back to five at the back. And we've just lost all that attacking threat going forward. Uh, I think it's got to do with the. I personally do think it's got to do a little bit with the game plan at the minute, and I think it comes from Bruce, as you say, going to his five at the back, uh, with him sort of admitting that we're uh, we're limited going forward and we need that extra cover going back. It sort of sets an overall tone of well, we need to defend first, and then we start thinking about attacking. Uh, so from the from the minute one, we're set up to defend, and I think as soon as you start a game as that, you're going to start uh, poorly, start going forward with no intent. And you're always thinking about defending in the back of your mind as soon as we lose the ball or what, what's going to happen next sort of thing. So there's no intent to go forward and that invites the pressure going back. I mean, a team that, that plays with a back five, you, you see it with England, you play a back five when you're rubbish defensively and, and that's what Newcastle are. Under Benitez, Newcastle played in the back five and were known for being defensively solid. But now it's just a case of we're rubbish going forward and we're rubbish at the back. So something's mm-hmm. got to change, whether that is w- with the manager. I don't think Bruce will get sacked. There's many reasons why uh, he will mm-hmm. not leave the club. But just with Newcastle at, at the minute, there's, there's just nothing anywhere. I don't see where the goals are going to come from. 
and I don't see us keeping them out. Yeah, I can't remember what pundit it was said it. Not on Newcastle, just about playing in a five at the back or three at the back in general. It was if you're a centre half that prefers to play with three centre halves, it means you're not a good defender because you can't trust yourself to play with just one other. And I can't think of a centre half at our club that is good enough to play in a four at the back. You watch Lascelles, and he constantly wants someone tight to him on the back, so he's, he knows he's got cover. He's not confident to defend by himself, which which is a worry for someone that's going to be your leader and what people say is your best defender, but it is definitely not. Fabian Shaw especially fits that type of a defender who cannot defend in a back four. No. He's almost a midfielder the way he plays, and you know he's absolutely terrible in a in a back four, and then in a back three. He still gets exposed, and you think this is meant to be. At times, he was the best centre back of the club, and he just represents that. What even are we? We can't attack, and he can barely defend. It's just not a good. Yeah. It's just not a good example of what we are as a club at the minute. Well, when he came on at half time, I think his first thing that he did was he took a touch and he lost the ball to Timo Werner, and Werner went through and tried to square it instead of scoring, and it just that just summed him up really. It's not that he thinks he's better than what he is, but he just wants more time on the ball than. Than what he can actually have. Another thing is just we seem scared to go into games. Like we're terrified of conceding a goal because our game plan, like it was under Benitez a lot of the times, was just stay in the game for as long as you can, and then try and get something. So that's not something Bruce has brought. It's been with her for for years now, and it's not a bad thing. But you need to have a threat on the counter. So we used to have Rondon, Perez, Kennedy when he was he was good on his first loan spell. And we'll have the players capable of doing it, but we're bringing them so far back that it's impossible to launch a counter-attack. Did you guys see the formation? Um, I think it was on Match of the Day, the graphic. Uh, yeah. It showed the formation, and I think it was nearly, I think I think it was a 7-2. and two. So it would be like St. Maximin and Joel Linton behind, behind the halfway line, and then everybody else just, just on the goal line. It, it sums it up at the minute, this football club. It's sucking the life out of me, watching them mm-hmm. play on a Saturday. I mean, I think I, I tweeted at 2 o'clock, they've ruined my weekend. i seen a brilliant yeah. tweet before the game as well, saying um, some guy woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning just so he could enjoy his Saturday before the castle there. <laughs> brought it back down to earth for him. <laughs> That's how bad it is. It's just so miserable to watch. Like, there's no excitement. Like The only excitement we had was St. Maximin, and since he signed a contract, he's been absolutely horrendous. It's just There's just nothing. I have to give a shout-out, though. I thought Joe Linton probably put in one of his best displays as a striker since he signed for that that said something even though he had a shot from about 35 yards which bounced about 10 times before going out i think that, our standards made... are really low for joe linton though aren't they at the minute yeah they I think are. as long as, as, long as he just holds the ball up. i mean the lad's six foot three he should be able mm-hmm. to hold off three or four defenders but yeah i think we all we all want the best for joe linton don't we? We, we don't want him to to be a flop we all know he has been no. but just just mm-hmm. give us something. Where's his best position, guys? Because he's not a striker. He's not quick enough to be a winger. Where yeah. would you fit him in this team if you had to? It would be starting as a winger, but then telling them not to stay out wide. So then you can get a full a wing back to actually play on the wing, and then he comes inside. For Hoffenheim, I know for Hoffenheim, they played a 3-4-3, three, three, and he would play left forward, where he'd where say inside of the air, the left wing back. And obviously he was quite good in that position because he could use his power to drive from the halfway line, but it's not like he was having to be tricky to beat wingers. Whereas in this team, he's either, like against Man United, he was on the wing in a 4-5-1. He's very limited dribbling-wise, so he was easy to coax out of the game. And in the middle, 
obviously he's completely ineffective so they need to find that little niche room where he is effective because of 40 million pounds it's time now that we stop saying oh well I hope he comes good and it's time he comes good I think the case with Joe Linton is he's not good enough to build a team around so why would you do it in the first place is it worth yeah, Newcastle United just cutting the losses with him uh, I think he'll, he could go out on loan in January potentially if we if we can get someone else in because it, it's just not going to work and it's it's just it's not good for us it's not good for for his career either so i think it's just best if he if he does go on to pastures new hopefully he can do an alexander soloff but uh, crystal palace couldn't <laughs> yeah. score a goal for them went to turkey and scored 25 goals and got himself a, a 20 million pound move to red bull leipzig so <laughs> yeah. hopefully we can claw half the money back for him so obviously the chelsea game no one expected a win but the next couple of fi- next five games i think fans would expect to you could win all of them we've got crystal palace away Aston Villa away, West Brom at home, Leeds away, and then Fulham at home. So, are you as positive of getting results in any of those games? I think we have to be positive. There's no reason why Newcastle can't go and get 15 points out of 15 from there. We've got Crystal mm-hmm. Palace on, on Friday, a team that aren't terrific, are they? They've got Wilfred Zaha, he's, he's a one-man band there. I, they're just very good defensively, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're a solid team. I think they're everything Newcastle aren't at the minute. Mm-hmm. unfortunately but hopefully we're going to have Wilson back for Friday uh, and we're going to yeah. hopefully get a result then and nick a, nick a win Aston Villa away the next match I don't see us winning that game at all yeah. Villa, never do well very good Villa. Villa Park's a, a nightmare of a ground for us in recent years West Brom at home <laughs> that, that should be a guaranteed three points I'd like to think yeah. Leeds away we'll struggle with how organised and intense they all know the yeah. role at Leeds. It's everything Newcastle aren't. I don't think we'll win that game. And Fulham, another team similar to West Brom, that should be a guaranteed three points. So if I'm going to predict how many points we'll get out of those, I'm going to say seven out of 15. And would you say that's good enough? Would I take it? Yes. Is it good enough? Probably. We're one point off Manchester City. We're eight points mm. clear of the bottom three. But the football's just that bad, isn't it? That's the thing. We're not playing well. We haven't even got results recently, but the bottom three are just horrendous. I don't think they've won yet this season, have they? Like a team in the bottom three? No, I don't think so. That's why Newcastle will stay up this year, uh-huh. because there's three yeah. teams worse than us. It's the same every single year. Mm-hmm. For those five games, if you look at them, the two games that I don't see is getting anything from, as Harry says, is against Aston Villa and Leeds. They are the two teams in that five who have a really solid system at the minute. No, every player knows the rule, and they're not the best teams. Aston Villa may be a bit better than Leeds. Leeds is full of championship-level players, but because every single player knows what they're doing, and Newcastle don't, we struggle. Against Southampton, I think Southampton have a much better team than we do man for man, but it's because of the system we completely fall apart. So I don't see us getting anything out of those games. Crystal Palace, it's Newcastle against Crystal Palace. We always struggle at Selhurst Park, sort of. So that's sort of 50-50, and we've got to be winning games against uh, West Brom and Fulham. You have to be getting six points out of those because them two teams are absolutely terrible at the minute. So I think I'm going to go with Harry's prediction of seven points as well. Yeah, I think that with Pal- the Palace game, I think it'll be whoever scores first will win and it'll finish 1-0 because we can be quite solid if we want to and very stubborn and lucky. Palace, uh, you see when they go 1-0 up, they very rarely lose. Yeah. But yeah, I think, well, I'd say six would beat West Brom and Fulham, I think. Think we'll lose to Crystal Palace. Yeah, just we've got no momentum, we've got no energy or or anything going forward. The thing is, it would be typical Newcastle United to beat Aston Villa and beat Leeds, and then <laughs> lose to West Brom and Fulham. 
and then everyone will say Bruce is doing a fantastic job. Yeah. And then you're back to square one again, trying to explain to people that don't do basic research what it's actually like to watch this team play at the minute. Could also win three out of those five games of 15 points and then beat Brentford to be in the semi-final of the uh, EFL Cup and then uh, we're having an amazing season. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. You just you don't understand. like The amount of pundits that just talk absolute rubbish is ridiculous. I think we are the only fan base in English football that get ripped pill at the post every single week by these pundits. All Newcastle United fans want is a team that tries and is ambitious and, and goes for it. We're nothing like that at the minute. That's all Newcastle fans want. I think that's why fans weren't as much on Bruce's back last season because the team were really fighting. Like the amount of late winners that we got last season, the team were really like digging in all the time. Whereas this season, it's just not the same. I don't know if that's to do with the fans not being there. You don't get that little bit of push in the final 10 minutes, but it, it really hasn't been the same this season. It's... This season is what I thought it would be like last season under Bruce. Very boring to watch. St James's Park, though, I think it's it's been quite good for us not having fans there, as horrible as it does sound. A bit of a cauldron of fire, isn't it? It was last season. The point is, it was very, very toxic in that stadium. And it was hostile. And it must have been mm-hmm. difficult for, for the players to, to play in that. That's why we started picking up points away from home. If you cast your mm-hmm. mind back look, to five, six years ago, Newcastle United could not win an away game to save their life. <laughs> and now you would mm-hmm. back us more to win an away game than you would a match at home. I don't think the football would be as bad if the fans were in because, as you say, it's a cauldron of fire. They would almost be bullied into it to be playing more positive by the booze. Because sometimes Newcastle are getting beat 1-0 at half-time. We haven't played that badly. And the fans are booing relentlessly. Uh, so I just think that... So as Chelsea. There was no way that it, they would have been able to pass the ball back to the goalkeeper so much if the fans were in the stadium. Because you just can't get away with it. The, the, the atmosphere doesn't allow it. And I think if the fans were in the stadium... I think we'll see. We might start an attack games a little bit more. Oh, it would have been a totally different game on Saturday if fans were in that ground. I don't think Bruce would be getting away with as much as he is at the minute as well if, if those supporters were in the ground. You can't play as passive with fans in the ground as we as we did on Saturday. Because yeah. it's it's not that Chelsea, Chelsea obviously a good team, but we'd only lost once in the last seven home games against them before Saturday. So it's not that they're a bogey team. If anything, we ought to them. We normally do quite well at home, and it was just, it was just awful. But on something which could be a bit more positive, is the takeover potential takeover, or depends who you you like to listen to. If it's going to be a takeover or just more more smoke and no action. So there was a lot of talk. Uh, the fan group, uh, what was it, NCSL? Yeah, Newcastle Consortium Supporters Limited. I think's the the name they're using. Yeah. Uh, they got a reply off the Premier League, uh, weren't happy about it, said they were going to go further with this, and then Newcastle and Mike Ashley put out a rather strong-worded statement, to say the least, saying the Premier League had leaked information they shouldn't have, and that they would be going through arbitration now. So what did you think from that? Because it was the back end of last week, so we had a bit of time to try and understand what it all means, because... To be honest, most of it goes very swiftly over my head. I don't understand much of it. It's probably the first time in five years that I've been absolutely on Mike Ashley's team. Uh, you know, the the uh, the statement, I think the overall consensus has been that the, the club are absolutely furious the way the Premier League have handled the uh, the situation with the supporters group telling them about the legal action we're going through at the minute. So it seems as though we uh, 
although it was sort of in the background, none of us knew what was happening. It has been very silent over the takeover period that they really are going for this legal action. And then I think the idea is that if we win this legal battle, uh, Stavely, uh, PIF will be more than happy to go back in the takeover. So although it's sort of don't get yourself excited, I think there's very much still life in it at the minute. I thought the letter that was that was published by the club was a very, very clever statement. It kind of shone light on the Premier League sort of breaching their own confidentiality rules. I don't know whether you've seen yeah. it, but what they wrote in it, they said, you know, um, Newcastle United have, have been obliging to the confidentiality rules set by the Premier League, and they've not done that. And it's mm-hmm. another attack from Mike Ashley, and it's, no, it's another way of him getting at the Premier League. I think it's the third statement he's wrote now I mean, he even done a thing about pay-per-view. Like, let's be honest, is Mike <laughs> bothered about fans, and no. Castle fans in particular? No, he doesn't care. It's, it's another opportunity for him to have a go at the Premier League. But in terms of the takeover and, and everything that's gone on with that at the minute, I've been following this saga, should we call it, probably for the last eight months. And it doesn't seem that we're going to get any closer to a, to a conclusion. No, it seems like it's just going to drag on and drag on, uh, just like it did over the summer. Uh, to me, our stand is believe it when I see it. I don't think anything will happen. Um, just kind of fed up with the way takeover now. <laughs> but I don't understand any of the legal stuff. I don't try and pretend I do, and I just let people argue on Twitter and say Luke Edwards get very, very annoyed. <laughs> it's just more actions from people that have already said and done things and no actions from the people that matter. And that is the people trying to buy the football club. They've stayed very silent from what we know, which isn't a good sign. If they really wanted it, you'd think they would be they'd yeah. be pushing it as well. See, I'm the total opposite on that. I think the silence is absolutely golden. If Newcastle, I think they tried again, didn't they? Uh, after they, they, they withdrew their bid, they went in again and they were mm-hmm. told no for, for a second time. And that's when everything went hush. Jamie Rubin, who's set to be on the board and of this prospective board at Newcastle, he resigned from his role at QPR. Mm-hmm. Now, take what you want from that, but I see it as he's he's waiting t- to come here. In terms of, of the legal fight, it, it's something... I mean, arbitration, I think, can last over half a year, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Premier League didn't have this tied up in litigations where we're looking at, at years before we get to any form of, of conclusion with it. But the whole process, as you said, Aaron, it is just so draining. Mm-hmm. It's not just following a football club and a takeover. Everybody's got an opinion on it. And it's yeah. the same people that have an opinion on this football club are the same ones that are telling them that we're a small club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're told we're a small club, but everybody cares about Newcastle United. That's the thing. People seem to care more about us than they do uh, their own teams at times, yeah. especially certain pundits that have nothing to do with us and seem to have an opinion on everything under the sun that goes on at Newcastle and seem to know everything that goes on at Newcastle. So it's really interesting to get a good insight every week from uh, certain people like Chris Sutton. Robbie Savage as well. I think they do it. They know that they're going to get a reaction. Yeah, it's like talk sport. They just do things to get a reaction. and Bring the premium line number. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it works. But... uh, I'll be interested to see what happens with this. We seem to get new bits of information about the takeover every like month or two, and then it gets picked up for like two weeks, and then it goes silent again, uh, and then it comes back up again. But what is interesting is that there was apparently these two or three other parties interested, waiting for the PIF's bid to fall through, and since it's fell through, 
there's been nothing. So well, I've got my own theories behind uh, who was behind those those parties, but I'm sure you can probably imagine who I who I thought was behind <laughs> those fake bids, should we say? But yeah. Henry Morris, where's he gone? Uh, oh God, I don't think he ever. I don't think he ever existed, did he? Apparently, he ran a TV company in, in America that mm-hmm. rented a small office in New York. They was the first one. Then we had the uh, what was the Singapore group called? Oh, Bellagraph Nova. Bellagraph Nova. How could we forget them? Hasn't one of the business yeah. partners like ran off and left the other yeah, one? Yeah, they've just split now, so they're not actually a group anymore. So. Absolute publicity stunt. If I've ever seen one, that was poor Michael Chopra. Right? <laughs> what did they do? That uh, photoshopped a picture of them with was it Barack Obama? Oh, yeah, but they paid for a meet and greet. Yeah, that was unbelievable. That was amazing. Another takeover that seems to be getting closer, which kind of involves Newcastle, is that Bin Zayed Group are going to eventually make their mark in English football with Derby County. It seems the team with Queen Rooney at the helm and doing quite horrendously in the Championship have now are now trying to buy Derby after failed apparent attempts to buy Newcastle United via WhatsApp groups and text messages and FaceTime calls. So, if you're a Derby fan, I would be very sceptical of this and uh, keep your WhatsApp notifications on. Just don't ring me, whatever you do. Yeah. That saga yeah. Was, was nuts, wasn't it? That, that was whole amazing. thing. I mean, apparently Bin Zayed Group, apparently they do have a, a good bit of money behind them and they have their best intentions are there, but they got very offended, didn't they, when Mike Ashley asked for a deposit, I think it was 10%. They turned yeah. around and, and, and walked away. But all the best to Derby with the BNZ group. I'll be keeping a close eye on on everything that happens there. But, yeah, I wish them all the best with them. Yeah, good luck to them. So if there's going to be a takeover, I get it'll just happen when it happens. The people that played out in the media are very strange. I don't know why you'd want publicity, but people do what they what they need to do in the business world to get what they want. I suppose there'll be a lot more for shadier owners and dealings going on than than this potential one. But that'll be the end for this episode of Time Warp. I want to thank Harry and Josh for coming on. And we're going to have another episode out later in the week. So we'll have two for you this week, previewing the Crystal Palace game on for Friday night. And there'll probably be some more talking points with things that come up during the week. So for now, I've been Aaron Heindorf. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.